Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 199 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast, The Importance of Breath. Today we'll be talking all about the respiratory system as well as the influence of breath on your body's brain, mood, immune function, metabolism, and so much more. Yes, I have been a long proponent of breath work as a dynamic way to manage anxiety and help to really halt the stress response. And now I think respiratory function and focus on breathing has been heightened with COVID, of course, Mm -hmm. being a respiratory virus. And I think on a couple levels, you know, both the psychosomatic impact of knowing it's a respiratory virus and individuals being more obsessed with their respiratory totally. function, like, yeah. is my, am I short of breath? You know, am I breathing okay? Am I breathing hindered? And then also the impact of anxiety um, impacting more of that sympathetic fight or flight mode, making more shallow, rapid breaths instead of getting that deep inhalation and exhalation. And the influence of masking or, you know, wearing masks on compromising how our respiratory system is developed to function. Totally. And and we'll unpack also, as we alluded to last episode in 198, even further, the influence of disinfectants and cleaning chemicals on the respiratory system as these are being used as children go back to school. Yes. So, so much to cover. Um, we're going to open with a note from our sponsor, Do Fasting, and... Get going on breath. So everyone get ready to breathe with us over this hour. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So y'all know that Becky and I are fans of intermittent fasting as a great way to support immunological health, aid in calorie reduction and body composition change, accelerating body fat burn, and even aiding with satiety, cravings, and behaviors. The Do Fasting app creates a custom fasting plan that is based on your lifestyle, your work schedule, your body, fitness goals, dietary restrictions, and even the ingredients that you like. You can go over to dofasting.com, that's just D-O-F-A-S-T-I-N-G.com, where you will fill out a short questionnaire, select the six-month subscription plan, and enter in the referral code AllieMillerRD, and you will get 50% off or six additional months for free of charge. This app is super cool because it provides guidance for the fasting challenge. It tracks and uh, looks at your records as well as your success. It aids you with logging your intake. It looks at tracking on water intake as well, hydration status, your weight changes, and it can even support with meal prep and online workouts. They have a 28-day fasting challenge, which is really sweet and has a great support from their Facebook community where users can ask questions, receive feedback from other members that are doing the Do Fasting app as well. 
So the first thing you do is go on over to dofasting.com, fill out a short survey to determine what fasting type works best for you and your body, and you will get a personalized plan. Again, use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout and you will get 50% off or six additional months free of charge. Enter that under the coupon code area as a referral code at checkout and the discount will be applied automatically. Awesome. So let's dive in, Allie, and just start off with a basic question here. So let's unpack what exactly is the respiratory system? What organs and tissues does it include? Yes. So it is a network of organs and tissues that help us breathe. And this includes our airways, lungs, and blood vessels, as well as the muscles that power our lungs included within this respiratory system. And these parts of our body work to move oxygen throughout the body, carrying oxygen into the blood, sharing that with our cardiovascular system, and then cleaning out or expelling the waste gases like toxins and carbon dioxide. So there are three major parts of the respiratory system, the airway, the lungs, and then the muscles of respiration. And the airway, which is the one I'll kind of break down the nerdiest today, um, this includes our nose, our mouth, two areas that you can start the inhalation and, and also expelling process, the pharynx, the larynx, the trachea, bronchii, and the bronchioles, which are going to carry the air between the lungs and the body's exterior world. And it's important to note that humans typically take about 25,000 breaths per day, often without thinking about it. You know, this is an involuntary process, but we know that the autonomic nervous system or the fight or flight mechanism of the body can have a huge influence on this respiratory function. Totally. Um, let's get a little bit nerdier even and, and unpack a little deeper the airway system along with the process maybe of how blood actually gets oxygenated by our respiratory system. Okay, so I first kind of want to distinguish, we'll, we'll talk in a little bit into this episode, the benefits of being a nose breather versus a mouth <laughs> breather. But when we're thinking of kind of the anatomy and physiology of the system, uh, when we inhale through the nose, the nose has all of those tiny hairs, the cilia, and it also has more mucus or a different type of mucus than the mouth does. And so the nose has a lot more barrier function when we're inhaling, a lot more filtration can occur through the nose. Think about like just opening your mouth and taking a deep breath. <laughs> There's nothing stopping that stuff nope. <laughs> from getting in through your mouth. Um, so the nose has that cilia, it has more of a mucosal barrier. It also humidifies and regulates the temperature of the air. And then the mouth is your secondary air source. But for some people, like during cold season or as mouth breathers in sleep time, which we'll get into in a moment, <laughs> that serves as their primary, unfortunately. And that's where they're not getting that humidification, temp regulation, or filtration. So either way, no matter how you bring the air in, the air from the nose and the mouth are going to go into the pharynx muscular tube. And this connects that oral to nasal area into the esophageal, esophageal space. That's where, of course, we have this variance where when we are in a rested space, the esophagus is generally uh, collapsed and the epiglottis is the part that is going to close the trachea, which is generally dilated if we are in a chewing or swallowing environment. 
So if we are chewing or swallowing foods, that's going to uh, activate the epiglottis to close the trachea, and then we swallow the foodstuffs down the esophagus. Otherwise, through that nasal area, we are um, passing through that pharynx um, to the larynx, and the larynx is the area of the respiratory system that includes our vocal cords. And the vocal cords are actually what creates the variants of our upper and lower respiratory system. So the larynx has much more dense cartilage. It contains our vocal cords, which helps us to make sound, and it's going to connect to the trachea. And then that's at the lower section under those vocal cords. And then the trachea is going to have 20 C-shaped cartilages that divide into the primary bronchi, the secondary, and the tertiary. And these kind of branch out like tree branches. And there are conducting bronchioles, respiratory bronchioles, and the alveoli. That was nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> alveoli. I can never say that one. Alveoli. Yep. So a single alveoli is actually surrounded by multiple capillaries and it has very close contact with blood. This is where we see that direct exchange of oxygenation. The mechanism, it's getting a little nerdier, Becky. Just, oh boy. You just wait. <laughs> so the mechanism of this is diffusion. So the alveolar air is going to be high oxygenated and you know the air in the blood is going to be um, low oxygenated and higher carbon dioxide. And so there's this diffusion that occurs in this alveoli and that's how we oxygenate our blood. So the heart receives the deoxygenated blood pumps it through our coronary pulmonary arteries to the lungs. This goes to the alveoli, and then the alveoli with that diffusion process is going to exchange the oxygenated blood back to the cardiovascular system. And what's so wild is when you think of the heart pumping blood and how that blood gets distributed in our lungs, five liters of blood from the heart can divide into almost 300 million alveoli per minute so tiny 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 tree like branch networks from these huge big arterial push from the cardiovascular system and five liters sounds like a lot of volume yeah <laughs> sure is as i'm looking at my uh, liter cup in front of me here on the yeah. desk <laughs> all right so now what are some of the um maybe common conditions or symptoms of respiratory disease let's unpack some of these yeah so i mean some of the areas where we can get issue is if those bronchioles have any malformation if the muscles of the respiratory system are weakened or are impaired not able to conduct and drive this process and the main uh disease states that we know of or that are kind of the, the high common ones are asthma, which we'll talk about a lot today, COPD, bronchitis, pneumonia, cystic fibrosis, lung cancer, emphysema, pleural effusion. And then within these conditions or disease states, we can see shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, a stubborn cough, and difficulty clearing mucus, especially with like cystic fibrosis, but really any of these lung-based conditions, we can have difficulty with that mucus. Uh, we can see taxed breathing or loud breathing, as well as headaches and just chronic mucus in the system. And then, you know, a lot of these conditions would be based on either inhaling a toxin, um, like cigarettes and asbestos. Um, what are some other causes? Yeah, another, so that would be more of the toxin association would be like in COPD, mm -hmm. cancer, eczema. 
And asthma for sure. Excuse me, not eczema. Emphysema. emphysema. Sorry. <laughs> emphysema. Well, eczema can drive can be driven from toxins as well, but not sure. respiratory, nope. <laughs> not skin, um, emphysema. And that's what we kind of tie with smoking or like asbestos and these inhalant toxins. Um, but when we think of the pneumonia and the bronchitis, that's generally an infection that really has not been managed by the immune system. And so we might see a combination of like antibiotic and steroids being used in this. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like cystic fibrosis is genetic. And, and this is more of that inability to regulate mucus as well as the bronchial dilation on a genetic level. And then, you know, many of the conditions you've mentioned are not really reversible once the damage is done. It's more just, you know, doing more damage control and managing symptoms. Um, But things like asthma and bronchitis and pneumonia certainly can be. So let's maybe unpack asthma first because I know this is super common, especially amongst children and becoming increasingly common. Yes, and we talked about the connection of asthma in last week's episode 198 on, I think it was called So You're on an Antibiotic, where we really talked about antibiotics being used with ear infections and that being, I forget the statistic, was it three to four times, I think, increase of asthma with an early onset of antibiotic intervention in the first six months of of age uh, for a baby. So definitely we see this increasing with the increased prescription of antibiotics Asthma is defined as a common chronic respiratory condition that causes difficulty breathing due to inflammation of the airways. So that's why this can definitely be reversed when we're looking at functional approaches of reducing inflammation and getting to that root cause of what was driving the inflammation in the first place. So we see with asthma, symptoms can include, similar to what we said, dry cough. Wheezing is a very common trait we see chest tightness and shortness of breath and then that can drive a lot of a um, panic attack anxiety and more you know mental duress because of that shortness of breath which kind of can go chicken and egg as you realize you're not getting enough air then we start to have a big stress response and that can only create more of that constriction often there's a huge connection between environmental allergies and asthma and allergic reactions in general And we see that infections and pollution can also trigger quite a severe asthma attack. And then, you know, you have things like exercise-induced asthma. Um, I know that is quite common too, and and childhood asthma that kids sometimes grow out of. But let's distinguish a little bit more types of asthma, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, people can actually get asthma in elderly age. You know, Mm -hmm. people can get a new diagnosis at age 60 or even 80. It's called adult-onset asthma. Um, And the interesting thing, though, is that most often it is in children because their lungs have not had the opportunity to develop. Mm -hmm. Also, we can see a trend of children that had an early intervention of corticosteroids and having um, a higher risk of asthma. And then, like I said, inhalants and and seasonal allergies are big as well. Um, Brady actually had reactive asthma when we were in Washington State and actually had first moved to Houston. So he had something called farmer's lung. He had asthma as a soccer player in high school, and then it didn't really bother him, totally fine. But when he was working as an organic farmer, check this, they would... um, they would harvest legumes. I think that they were so some kind of like a, a pod bean, you know, I forget whether they're black eyed peas or whatnot, but some kind of a legume in their pods. And they had them in these burlap bags. 
And for whatever reason, they would shell them in bulk by banging mm-hmm. the bags on the ground inside the greenhouse. Oh. I don't know why they decided, you know, like inside the greenhouse, like do that outside with more. And that's what you guys will hear as a theme, right? It's, it's about this kind of like solute control to diffuse particles that stress out the lungs, sure. which need to filter, right? And so because they were in this closed space and they weren't like wearing bandanas or masks over their noses or mouths, um, he got farmer's lung and actually had some mold activity in his lung. Um, so we'll talk about when we get into interventions, you know, some of the things that he pulsed up and some supplements that he's on for life mm-hmm. for sure. Um, because that's one of his kind of Achilles heels because of that, um, impact. So, so crazy. Yeah. Um, and then I know, you know, for asthma in general, steroid inhalers would be generally kind of that first line of defense. Let's talk about first maybe some of the conventional and then functional approaches to asthma and other respiratory concerns. Yeah, you know, many respiratory conditions, they're going to go for a bronchodilator um, or a corticosteroid. You know, these are kind of the two classes that will be used in some combination and some drugs are approved for some conditions and not others. And, you know, I, I don't know if some of that's politics or whatnot because some of them have similar mechanisms of action. But long story short, generally you're going to be put on a bronchodilator that's long acting and then a rescue inhaler that is a corticosteroid. And many of the bronchodilators are now hybrids. The most popular um, inhaler drugs in the respiratory world right now are like Advair, Dulera, Symbacort, and these are combo drugs. So it's a long acting beta agonist of the bronchodilation. And then it's also an inhaled steroid. And then there will likely be rescue inhalers layered on like albuterol or pro air. And these inhaled corticosteroids will be a more dynamic um, anti-inflammatory delivery at times of severe duress. Got it. And then what about some of the side effects of these medications? I imagine when we're combining, especially the steroids in there, that we can get into some side effects. Yes. Um, And I want to call out one that's really interesting as kind of a a case uh, study that I've been seeing with now three kiddos that have been dealing with adrenal insufficiency, Mm. iatrogenic, meaning medically induced adrenal insufficiency. And I mean, this went back and forth from like uh, endocrine um, referrals, looking at pituitary MRIs, um, because one of the kiddos was having really severe uh, vasovagal migraines and cyclical vomiting. Um, So we can see some pretty dynamic impact on the adrenal gland, especially when these medications like inhalers with steroids are used at early age and they're nebulizing and such um, because that gland of the body just kind of shuts down and then we can have issues with blood sugar control because the adrenals, you know, regulate blood sugar on many levels. Corticosteroids also, you know, have that glucose regulating effect. We can see impacts on sodium. We can see impacts on blood pressure and chronic fatigue syndrome and so much more. So that's kind of the most severe is, is adrenal insufficiency to actually have a physiological impact and be seen clinically beyond like a salivary sensitive adrenal panel. Um, And then we can see along that kind of vein, more of the short-term or acute side effects, nervousness or a shaky feeling because of that adrenaline. 
Um, we can see heart palpitations. We can see an upset stomach, trouble sleeping because of the stimulating effects, muscle aches or cramps. And you can see similar side effects in the bronchodilators as well as the rescue inhalers. And we can even see things like hyperactivity, um, nervousness or anxiety. And um, again, I really attribute that to the increased heart rate because mm-hmm. that physiologically is going to then trigger the mental of like, I feel a little racy. Is something wrong with me? And, and so forth. Sure. So um, kind of some scary side effects, especially if those are medications that are, you know, intended for long-term use. Um, but certainly on the flip side of that, you know, if we can't breathe, <laughs> we've got to do something. And I'm sure it's very scary as a parent too, to see, you know, your child struggling with breath. Um, so let's talk about maybe some of the functional approaches that we can use to support respiratory function and, and some things that we could do kind of preemptively. Yeah. So, I mean, preemptive like lifestyle stuff, I'll start with first and then more functional uh, medicine approaches. So the first thing you want to do if your child or yourself is feeling short of breath is be mindful of your body positioning. So sitting upright, stopping what you're doing, sitting upright and um, either, you know, making sure that your respiratory system, that trachea is upward, right? So you're not sideways laying down or constricting, um, you know, any area in your bronchioles. Um, Being able to do that and and have this open diaphragm uh, is going to allow these longer, deeper breaths. If working with a child, you can use the visual of a boat. And um, if you think of often when we feel stressed and short of breath, we, we will tend to do more rapid, fast breaths. But work uh, with them ideally before they go into a panic state. So you have this kind of visualization established, but like rowing a boat, um, doing like these deep rows across the water of like, whoof, and whoof. And and so when you're doing that versus, you can even show them a visual, you know, you're not going to move the boat very far. These long, deep breaths are going to help the body to slow down the breathing prevent that hyperventilation, which could actually drive more of that carbon dioxide overload and more of the respiratory constriction and issues. So stopping, pausing, and taking long, deep breaths while you're sitting up would be really important. Um, Sealing your lips, even though you feel short of air, and breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth is going to allow more of that expulsion of that, again, carbon dioxide or toxin if there was an allergen or something, and maintain that filtration because you'd want them to keep their, their mouth sealed if they were to have an asthma reaction from you know hay fever or some pollen that's really high in your, in your pocket that you're in right now from a soccer field or whatever, so that their body can work that filtration process. Um, and then moving them away from the trigger would be the next best thing, of course. But while they're in that triggered space, maintain, maintaining that nasal inhale and mouth exhale would be best. Um, so yes, moving them away from the trigger if you can. Um, it, of course, if you smell cigarette smoke or you see a lot of dust. Um, and note that some toxins can be odorless. So that's what can be kind of scary when we're in the world of like chlorine gas even and, mm-hmm. and such. Um, but getting away from a trigger and going to an air-conditioned, cool environment or any place with clean air can be really important. Maintaining a status of calm um, to prevent that anxiety tightening of the chest muscles and then um, potentially even having a hot caffeinated beverage. Um, Caffeine uh, can really open up the airways and that could provide relief for an hour or two if needed. 
Sure. So maybe not caffeine for a little, little kid, but for an older, you know, teenager or something like that, who's dealing with, um, breathing difficulty could totally be appropriate. Yeah. And then, so let's go a little bit deeper. So now the first thing you want to do, of course, like I said, is reduce inflammation. So on a aggressive level, the most dynamic reactive compound that we'll see is omega-3 fatty acids. So ensuring that you are getting two to three grams a day of EPA. This is the um, type of omega-3. So we're saying to get really around um, 2,000 milligrams. And I'm sorry, the study was 1,500 to 2,000. So 1.5 to 2 grams of EPA. Um, That beyond asthma has been shown to have clinical outcomes for COPD and really respiratory distress because it decreases the inflammatory mediators. So all of those compounds that drive things like cytokine storms that we're talking about now with pandemic and the virus are going to be reduced. All of the chemical army of defense of inflammation is reduced by your omega-3, and we see higher clinical evidence in that EPA. The DHA we focus on for more of the cognitive brain health, but the EPA is that powerful inflammatory mediator. Again, 1.5 to 2 grams a day of EPA. The next thing that we would look at on a supplement level would be quercetin. And so quercetin in combination with bio-C, excuse me, I I just dropped it, with vitamin C is um, my favorite go-to. So I like to recommend the bio-C+. Um, And this is really fantastic at stabilizing mast cells. It has anti-inflammatory capability and also antihistamine support. So when we're talking about those inflammatory mechanisms in the respiratory tract, really fantastic. And then giving that antioxidant boost to reduce the inflammation in the body. And BioC Plus um, can be definitely opened up as a capsule. And we will be making an announcement in a moment about our omega-3, which now the capsule is smaller and probably more user-friendly to teens and depending on the age of the child, but I will definitely give you guys a liquid option as well. And we're in the works of developing a liquid omega-3 for the kiddos. But the BioC Plus can definitely be opened as capsules. Um, So if your child has, um, you know, exercise-induced asthma or allergy-induced asthma, you can pulse that in most definitely seasonally or based on demand or just as their daily ritual to open a capsule in the morning. Magnesium is another one to focus on. So we're thinking about with magnesium, the mechanisms of muscle relaxation. It's going to smooth the um, airway muscles to allow more dilation. Also, um, it can play a role as a beta agonist, which is that whole classification of drugs. And 300 to 500 milligrams a day, and research showed that the magnesium glycinate is the best form. That is the form that we use in our relax and regulate. And you get 200 milligrams per scoop. So a scoop and a half would be a really appropriate amount that also could help with neuromuscular release for depth and quality of sleep, but definitely in that evening rest. And so if husband or wife, but Becky and I were talking before we started recording, is a um, snorer, the the (laughs) relax and regulate could be a powerful tool actually to help them to get more relaxed in their pulmonary space so that they aren't dealing with that tension in the mouth breathing as much. I think I'm going to start increasing Byron's dose of that now that you said that. (laughs) (laughs) And then two more supplements I want to hit on for um, respiratory function. Vitamin D, we've been really hitting that hard recently um, with all of this stuff with pandemic and immune system, but 2,000 to 5,000 IUs of vitamin D plays a role in immunomodulation. So 
supporting how the immune system functions essentially. Uh, also, vitamin D does provide anti-inflammatory and respiratory support. A uh, research study has demonstrated that 2,000 IUs of vitamin D can actually enhance the efficacy of corticosteroids and also, again, the immune system function. And we know that vitamin D can also have antiviral and um, other immune enhancing activity. I'm always recommending if you're supplementing with a vitamin D, make sure that it has the MK7, K1, K2 blend, like our vitamin D balance blend capsule, which is 5,000 I use with that combination or the newly released vitamin D balance blend, which is a liquid dropper and flexible dosing all the way from infancy onward. Um, so this is really important again because vitamin D deficiency has been associated with increased symptoms of respiratory stress. We've seen exacerbation of asthma um, flares and increased need for medication use as well as overall reduced lung function in adults and children that have suboptimal vitamin D levels. So one that I would really say, again, if we're thinking of this onset from uh, early on and starting these interventions that can influence an important gland like the adrenals, starting with nutrition is gonna be the best foundation to support optimal health. And the last nutrient I would really hit on um, as an expectorant um, is the N-acetylcysteine. This is an antioxidant, and um, this is in our cellular antiox. That's that NAC or N-acetylcysteine and glutathione blend. And a dosage of 600 to 1200 milligrams of NAC has been shown to be mucoactive or at work as an expectorant to break down mucus and phlegm. It's also anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, detox supporting, and you get that in two capsules, which is the recommended daily use of the NAC. And um, I have a pediatric kiddo that has been dealing with pretty significant upper respiratory uh, duress, including even anaphylaxis-like reactions. And the NAC has been, the cellular antiox formula specifically, um, his mom actually bought, I'm not sure the source, I'll try to um, hit her up for this episode, but his mom bought like her own capsules um, and so I think that they are gelatin based or cellulose based capsules. And so she was laughing cause she's like, I'm here, I'm in my kitchen and I have this little like, you know, scale and scooper. And so she's <laughs> opening all the cellular antioxidants and she puts each capsule into, I think eight to 10 tiny micro capsules. Okay. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, because it's not that large of a capsule, right. but it is sizable. Um, and I shared on last week's podcast that it's not the tastiest. So mm -hmm. Bio C Plus, your kid can do that powder like in a bite of yogurt or applesauce, no problem. It's tasty. But cellular antioxidants, they're likely going to make a face about. Um, so I thought that that was a really cool idea. And I'll, I'll try to get more information on that to include in the show notes. And we'll keep working on some <laughs> recipe that covers up the taste of it. We tried... Stella like took it like a champ with a bite or two of, of lick chocolate ice cream, but then Allie and I like licked the bowl and we're like, it tastes like a sulfur, like chemical citrus, yeah. chemically something. But that's definitely the go-to, you know, anything reactive, airway, asthma, all of the things. So very, very important. Yeah, and, and the other thing that she's really good about, I will say, and that would be helpful in this as like a filtration and removing any allergen pollen, um, micro dust and you know dust mites and even pathogen um, is that X-Lear nasal spray, which is that saline grapefruit seed combination. 
And um, that's a really great way to just kind of rinse out the nasal passage to, to reset if your child is in a reactive timestamp or you know that, again, this time of the year they do really poorly with cedar pollen or something like that. Sure. Um, so I think now is a good time probably to take a quick word from our mid-roll sponsor, ourselves, Naturally Nourished Supplements. Yes. So all of those um, studies that I was referencing, I will put in the show notes. There was a research study that was called, let's see, Integrative Medicine for Respiratory Conditions, Asthma and Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease. And that was put out in 2017. So there's a really cool table, which literally boom, 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 went through those um different focused ingredients like the N-acetylcysteine, the quercetin, the EPA, DHA extra, and so forth. And so I kind of just did a commercial because I gave you five supplements uh-huh. <laughs> within those recommendations, but that's why I started the Naturally Nourished Supplement line. Um, you know, Becky and I as clinicians believe in the power of food as medicine, but we know all too often because of the lack of FDA regulation and because of individuals putting out products that don't have pharmaceutical grade um, factories or regulations that often formulas aren't potent, pure, or effective. And so if I'm going to make these recommendations, I want to make sure that I have a direct turnkey solution for you. And that's how I work with the Naturally Nourished Supplement line. In my over a decade of clinical experience, I've just continued to add probably one to four products a year um, when I start to see trends and demands of a particular compound that I'm seeing awesome clinical effects from. So every single product that you get within the Naturally Nourished Supplement line is going to be third-party tested to ensure that it is potent, it is effective, it is pure, and these are things that we personally take and use in our households. Um, These are compounds that we work with and again, our active clients and are so happy to be able to extend access to you guys through AllieMillerRD.com. Do you want to share about our uh, maybe savings and some of the price stuff? And then I'll tell them our update on our fish oil that we have going on. So if you're new to the Naturally Nourished Supplement line, or you haven't started with any of our formulas yet, a really, really good place to start is over at AllieMillerRD.com. We have a supplement quiz that will guide you through prioritizing your symptoms of concern, your goals, and what you're looking to achieve with your supplementation. And we'll provide you, um, you know, anywhere between three and probably upwards of six to seven options of supplements that would be effective for achieving those goals. So it's a really good place to get, you know, these custom tailored recommendations of, of what your highest priorities and highest areas of needs might be. And then another way to get started on exploring some of these formulas would be within our bundles. So we've hand selected and created bundles of between three and four uh, supplements per bundle. I don't think any have more than four, right? Um, no. Yep, three and four. Three and four. <laughs> Between three to four. So a very manageable amount of supplements to start with, like the anti-anxiety jumpstart bundle or our anti-inflammatory bundle, which does feature that EPA DHA blend that we were discussing. And the cellular antioxidant yes, we were discussing. Well, the cellular And then just be a good one. super turmeric in there. So that's another one that would be a great bundle for this timestamp because turmeric 
is another compound mm-hmm. that can reduce those mechanisms of inflammation in the respiratory tract, most definitely. Totally. And with those bundles, you are getting around 12% savings off the MSRP of those products. So a really good way to delve in and kind of check out a couple different formulas, and then you can convert over once you've figured out what's worked for you to doing a subscription so that you never run out of these formulas, because I think it's very important to note that, you know, the efficacy of these are, are based, especially in, in respiratory conditions, based on consistent use. So you never forget to refill. Your subscription shows up for you either every month or every other month, and that comes with a 10% discount as well. Yes, and actually I would call out the bundles are 12% off, the subscriptions are 10% off, and that's off our retail pricing, which is already three to 5% below below the SRP. So we actually scour all of the competitors of the big wig companies out there like Metagenics and Thorne and Integrative Therapeutics. And we look at their bioactive ingredient. We look at their price, their cost per gram, per milligram, dependent on the compound. And we make sure that our product, that when we look at the similar ingredient and dosage is always going to be priced less than our competitor because we really want to provide this as an opportunity for you guys to elevate your health and we want to make sure that we have the best quality and savings to offer to you guys so that could be upwards of 18 percent off in those bundles if we're looking at something that's already you know an impact of that five off yeah totally competitors Um, And then beyond that, we're also really striving to stay on top of the current scientific literature. So one of the reasons that we've made an update, um, which I'll be rolling out if it hasn't already in the next couple of weeks to our EPA DHA extra formula. So the omega-3 formula that we've been recommending in clinic and that we just jived on for its impact on respiratory function. Um, We've actually found some of you guys have been asking about triglyceride formulas and whether they might be better absorbed or more effective. Um, So we have gone ahead and researched on a product that is going to allow you to get a more potent dose of that EPA. That's that anti-inflammatory constituent in uh, the omega-3 blend that comes in a triglyceride form. So prior, the EPA DHA extra was an ethyl ester form, and now it is a true triglyceride form. Uh, We have seen some studies indicate that there would be a greater absorption when we are looking at intake over a 24-hour period when compared to an ethyl ester form. And we see no stability concerns across the board with both triglyceride and ethyl ester. We see clinical efficacy on both formulas as well. But that enhanced absorption was enough for us to say, okay, well, let's transition and let's now that we've watched this true triglyceride formula be on the market for six, eight years, now that it looks definitely to be stable and sound, something that we want to transition to ourselves. So on our fish oil, one of the important things I would call out is that our fish are always sourced from fisheries that observe the best practices for protecting endangered species and the ocean environment. Um, We always ensure the lowest environmental impact and partner with Friends of the Sea, which is a third-party organization dedicated to the preservation of the marine habitat. Um, We are transparent as far as, again, the third-party testing, and each batch of fish oil is going to be tested very tight, 
beyond the Eurofins assays, which include lead, arsenic, mercury, other environmental toxins and pesticides like dioxins, which we can see in the marine life, such as PCBs and other compounds. Um, and we ensure that everything is free of microbial contaminants. It is fresh, it is potent, it is pure, it has the stated shelf stability, and taste and tolerance are optimized. So the EPA DHA Extra will yield the same name. However, the uh, formula of the delivery of omega-3 is now in that true triglyceride form. Um, and what also Becky mentioned, which we're excited to share, is that the EPA has almost doubled. So one capsule of our prior formulated EPA DHA extra was 430 milligram EPA 290 DHA. The new and improved EPA DHA extra is still 290 DHA, but instead of 430 EPA, EPA, it's 710 EPA. And we're able to actually do this for you at five cents less per gram. So we're super excited to deliver this to you. And whereas before to get that 1.5 to 2 gram recommended dosage for optimal respiratory function, it would have taken you four capsules of our EPA DHA extra. Now you're getting that in just two capsules. And it's actually a smaller capsule. And I can say from experience of taking it, it's a little bit more um, hearty, I guess, or um, a little thicker than. Oh, yeah, we should share that, that why. Because yeah. we had two, two air areas. Um, you can share that. Well, we had a, a, some concern with um, clients who were reaching out and stating that their fish oil kind of smelled different than usual, a little more fishy, or they were actually seeing a broken capsule. Um, that are ruptured in transit. And so that was the other reason for making this switch over to this new formula is that the capsule itself is less prone to bursting. So it seems just a little, if you kind of like squish it in your fingers, a little bit more hearty on the outside. Um, and it also, um, you know, doesn't have that like fishy aftertaste, just like the other one, you know, we had that kind of lemon lime. I noticed this, that this one is even less fish-like. Yeah. I never had the like belch regurge taste of fish, but I could tell that I took fish oil. Right. And since I've switched, cause we always skinny pig things on yes. ourselves, <laughs> like I said, uh, but our new formulation, I'm really happy to report that I can very confidently say there's zero taste, zero odor and more potency. So we're super stoked to share that it will, um, basically start to unroll in our, um, you know, single orders and subscriptions and then um, we'll be transitioning our bundles, but it'll all be transitioned by August. Yep, and we'll give you guys a heads up when that happens so that if you do want to adjust your dosage accordingly, which you certainly can, depending on why you're taking it, you could actually go down on dosage um, potentially. So we'll, we'll give you guys a heads up as to when that'll be completed. All right. Okay, so let's move on to dietary interventions or food as medicine beyond supplements for respiratory conditions with all that talk about fish oil. Let's just talk about wild fish for a second. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> wild fish would be a huge one, most definitely. And I would highly suggest trying to get wild caught fish, which includes shellfish. I always like to note that because it seems to be easier sometimes to get in, uh, three times a week as a minimum. And, you know, going for a hefty protein serving of like four to six ounces minimum per, per serving. And that's one that Stella gets in quite easily with her wild caught salmon and 
truly, I mean, she uses that as a staple at least three times a week. She prefers it to most foods. So we love those like um, wild caught frozen individually packed um, fillets because we can just pop that out in the fridge the night before. And then we're like able to very quickly throw together her dinner if we're making something spicy or whatnot in our household. Uh, Grass-fed whey would be actually the second recommendation. And that's because the immunoglobulins, it has to be a native way, like our naturally nourished way. It has to be non-denatured. And then that way it will provide immunoglobulins, which are going to support antibody formation. So it'll help the child and or adult to process those seasonal allergies or of the environment and those inflammatory compounds. Also, we see that secretory IgA, which supports the mucosal membranes, including gut integrity, preventing leaky gut. Um, This can all be supported with that grass-fed whey. And then um, N-acetylcysteine and glutathione are naturally contained in the grass-fed whey. So we usually think of for those foods, which will be our next goal, I guess. (laughs) We usually think of for those foods our cruciferous family and our alliums like Broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, shallots, garlic, leeks, onions. And so, you know, we can get those into kiddos. Stella does broccoli a couple times a week. She has now ventured into cabbage slaw and um, she does pretty great with cauliflower as well. But that can be a little more, you know, those sulfur foods are a little more difficult. Whereas the grass fed way to add with coconut milk and frozen strawberries, a really easy way to get treat. Yeah, that sulfur (laughs) without it tasting sulfury, I guess. Yeah. And then what about foods that you would focus on removal of in terms of of things that might be triggers for kiddos? Sure. So I actually would start with dairy. And so even though I'm recommending the grass-fed whey, you might remove all other forms of dairy and keep in that grass-fed whey. And then you might pull out that grass-fed whey for three of those weeks. But I would do a six-week removal of dairy um, because we have seen in studies that patients with asthma tend to have a higher level of a specific mucin in their airways, and it's um, MUC5AC. And that tends to be higher in the asthma-oriented patients as compared to non-asthma patients. And we do see that certain types of milk um, does contain a protein called BCM7, and this can stimulate that MUC5AC production. So they're already susceptible to higher mucus production. And then there are proteins in dairy that can stimulate that production. Um, and that is going to be more in like the A1 versus A2 breeds of cows, which is also why we wouldn't worry about our grass fed way, which is, you know, out in New Zealand and, and using the A2. Um, it has been hypothesized in a lot of medical literature that milk ingestion can stimulate that mucin and also that that can drive more phlegm production. So that would be one of the first ones as a potential irritant. And then I would remove industrialized oils because when we're talking about the importance of omega-3s, we'd want to also remove those processed omega-6s like the corn, soy, the industrialized fats that are going to be in a lot of the processed snack foods These will throw off the inflammatory cascades in our respiratory system, regulating processes of inflammation, and also the barrier defense of all of our cells because our cells have that bilipid membrane. So we want healthy whole fats to make those up, and we want to remove those industrialized counterparts. And if your child's having pretty reactive airway function concerns, 
and you're not getting a lot of groundwork with your removal of those areas of foods, I would next go into an elimination diet or strongly consider the MRT test, which is that blood test that looks at 180 or 170, excuse me, foods and chemicals. And that will really help us to determine, you know, what is friend, what is foe, as far as how the immune system is responding to those antigens or to those compounds in the foods and what's driving inflammation in the individual's body because it could be something like lemon or it could be something like you know almonds and you've replaced your milk with your almond Mm -hmm. milk and now that's why your child isn't getting better totally and that's you know across the board kids or adults you know if dealing with respiratory impact or really any inflammatory condition but um, respiratory asthma eoe is a big one it's xenophilic esophagitis we use that a lot in as well most definitely okay now let's get into and unpacked a little bit the effect of, of mouth versus nose breathing so i think we both <laughs> determined that our husbands might be like mouth breathers at least uh, at night um, but what's the difference between breathing through your nose versus breathing through your mouth beyond just that filtration and the cilia piece of puzzle um, and then how can we use our breath to actually enhance our brain and metabolic function yeah so it's interesting, like you said, you know, many of us would say like, okay, yeah, that filter thing, like, yeah, I get that. I can see that. Um, but a lot of people don't know that breathing through the nose can actually trigger different hormones to flood our bodies. Um, breathing through our nose can actually lower our blood pressure, how our body monitors the heart rate, lowering our heart rate or reducing rapid heart rate. And we know that breathing through our nose can even help to store memories. That's why, you know, Dr. Deb, when we're doing our movement class, always like after something kind of radical and like, you're like, whoa, I don't know what I just shook up there. She'll say, okay, everyone in through your nose and out through your mouth. And everyone does this. And it's like this like really deep, because she says, yeah, like when you do that really deep nasal inhalation that you're storing those memories and you're telling your body to keep that vibration or that level and you're releasing anything, you know, energetically, but also there's that physiological connection. Interesting. I didn't even, I noticed that we were doing it. I didn't know the why. Yeah. And not like the like, ha, ha, but like the like after a song, you know, we're trying, she'll be like, okay, now walk around, find a space in the room, in through your nose, out through your mouth. And that's like that whole like, yep, like find the rhythm, find the memory, store the space and the the level that you want to claim now through the rest of your week. Um, So it's really incredible that there's this various function of our body balance based on just how we breathe, just literally that inhalation. So I saw some neat work done by James Nestor. He wrote the book Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And I want to just kind of drop some of the highlights from what he shared um, because I had a a lot of kind of aha moments. So within his investigative journaling, he was... um, Uh, not allowed to breathe through his nose. So he was doing forced mouth breathing um, and he developed really severe sleep apnea. He said his stress levels were off the charts. His nervous system was a a mess and just overall best way he could describe it is that he felt awful. So he started to dig into like, what's this connection? What's the hormetic element? What's the metabolic impact? And this can't just be lack of oxygen to my brain. You know, what is going on here? 
And he found that the nose is more closely connected to our genitals than any other organ in the body. Um, it's covered with the same erectile tissue as the genitals are. And so there is this bilateral stimulation that the nose actually gets stimulated when the genitals do. And um, there's also a vice versa connection when the nose is optimized, that that can create good flow into the southerly regions of the body. In fact, they call something the honeymoon rhinitis when individuals are overstimulated. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, where they like can't stop sneezing. Kind of interesting. <laughs> Uh, right? I know right. Becky's face is like, what the what? I've never heard of this. I know. But right? keep going, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the nose, the, the erectile tissue in the nose actually pulses on its own. Um, and so it will close one nostril and allow breath in through the other nostril and then vice versa. That other nostril will close and allow breath in. And our bodies do this involuntarily. You know, this is an autonomic process of the body that you're not demanding this back and forth flow. Um, but we see that this is a huge component of how our body maintains balance. Um, because when we breathe through our right nostril, our circulation speeds up, the body gets hotter, warmer body temperature, cortisol levels go up, blood pressure increases. And then breathing through the left actually relaxes us more. Our blood pressure will decrease, lowers body temperature, cooling off the body, reducing anxiety. And our body's able to regulate which nostril it takes in more based on whether it's in a sympathetic or parasympathetic space. So one more way of kind of a harness for this check and balance of this autonomic nervous system beyond the filtration and the overall like humidification regulation of our respiratory system. So interesting. And I was sharing this reminded me of a type of breathing you do in yoga that's alternate nostril breathing where you like inhale through one nostril, then cover that nostril while you exhale through the other and kind of go back through breath cycles. So I didn't know there was so much science to it. Yes, yes. So yeah, he says that, you know, consciously listening to yourself is the best way to start with um, optimal breath patterns versus he did talk about the prana, pranayama or prana. Pranayama just means like breath. And Okay, Shakti's but, energy. Yeah. Prana, but prana there's life force and yeah, that's breath. There's something but, with yeah, that. Yeah, the alternate. Yes. But he says, you know, just consciously listen to yourself and feel how breath is affecting you because you don't want to overdrive that natural balance mm -hmm. of the body. And he says slow and low breaths through the nose help to really relieve stress and reduce the blood pressure. Super cool. And I know there's more work on kind of the area of anxiety. Let's get into that and the parasympathetic, sympathetic response from breath. Sure. So as I've talked before, um, you know, when we're under a high fight or flight state, we tend to over breathe and really we're not over breathing. We're over inhaling, if you will. And so we take these rapid, shallow breaths and we often back up carbon dioxide and toxins and we uh, limit ourselves from oxygenation. We actually get the best oxygenation when we are expressing or expelling air and then taking in that deep refractory or rebound breath after we've fully emptied, if you will. And so 
you stimulate your sympathetic fight or flight nervous system when you're doing these short, rapid breaths. And one of the best ways to really transition that pendulum into that parasympathetic regulatory state is to breathe deeply. That's one of the things that you can kind of will and make voluntary instead of involuntary. So you can harness that autonomic nervous system and take control of the body and interfere with that short, passive, rapid, shallow breathing. Um, And again, thinking of, like I was saying, with the idea of a kiddo with a boat, um, you know, thinking of these slow, rhythmic pushes is going to get you more into that parasympathetic space and really emphasizing on the exhale. Um, So he says that, you know, you can put your hand over your heart as one way of connection. And as you take a slow inhale in, you'll feel your heart actually speed up. And then as you exhale, you'll feel your heart slowing down. And so that helps you to make that connection of that exhalation being that parasympathetic stress release anti-anxiety tool if you will and the diaphragm is going to lower when we take breath in and that sucks a bunch of blood like a huge profusion of blood into the thoracic cavity and then as we exhale that same blood that we just popped into the cavity shoots back out through the body and creates that circulation and that that sign of safety Super cool. And that makes me think of the four, seven, eight breath that you're always repping on here share too. That. Yeah, we have to I'm share sure that we in a moment. <laughs> uh, but just the intention on, you know, the exhale being just as important, if not more important than the inhale. Yeah. And just like finding and owning that rhythm or the fluidity of it. Um, you know, with panic attack, often we'll use things like a visual of like the ocean or something that is rhythmic. Again, kind of the tide coming up on the beach, the tide going back into the sea, um, because we really want to find these less is more in the sense of these very fluid, long strokes to be getting the body into that regulatory function. And that's going to help with the way that the diaphragm and the muscles of the system work. And that's an important piece that this author brought up um, in that book as well. He talked about, you know, how this isn't like a set point of capacity in the sense that there are free divers that are able to physiologically expand their lung capacity to hold their breath for several minutes, Um, you know, where you'll see a diver go underwater for eight minutes and not come up. And there's a world record for 12 and a half minutes, which sounds unbearable. (laughs) I know, right? So through exercise and working those muscles that help to manage the, the bronchial function and the respiratory function, as well as the will and really kind of driving those long slow, we can actually increase our lung capacity upwards of like 14 liters, double the size of a typical adult. Um, and, and that's based on training the breath. Um, so it's really profound how we can actually physiologically alter the body, which then has an influence on the body's function. Yes. And then beyond the impact on physical capacity and lung health, shifts in your breath can actually have a significant impact on physiology and stress response. Um, but maybe before we go into that physiological impact of proactive breath work, let's just talk about 
the impact of masks on the respiratory system. Yes. So I know you have an interesting story to share yeah. on a physiological influence, but you know, we've seen various, the mask thing becomes more and more polarizing by the day, I swear. Uh, but there have been some videos where individuals have done OSHA tests and, um, you know, I am seeing people trying to prove their pulse ox doesn't mm-hmm. change. Ben Lynch did one where his pulse ox did change. Regardless, I've seen pretty compelling um, studies where they use an OSHA, you know, air monitor and they do see that carbon dioxide levels are in unhealthy amounts, especially in children and especially in individuals that mouth breathe. And this is seen when you're thinking about children going back to school wearing masks and their stuffy noses, they're going to be putting out more of that carbon dioxide that tends to get increased even in the cloth masks. And the concerns of carbon dioxide levels in elevation and lack of blood oxygenation or oxygenation to the brain is lightheadedness, concentration, focus, brain health, and so much more. But when we're talking about a full eight-hour day, this is widely concerning. And then there's the fact that, you know, as we discussed, the respiratory system has a beautiful filtration process through the nasal passage. And so when we are mouth breathing, I've noticed this, that I, I finally had to have like a, you know, I'm either going to be really depressed and live in a box or we, we went kayaking. And so when we went kayaking, Austin had mandated masks and I was like, okay, I'll suck it up. I'll wear my mask to walk in the kayak line so I can not wear my mask to be on a kayak in nature. The cost of benefit is worth it. I can speak out against masks in my other ways and I'm just going to do it. But I noticed that I mouth breathed. I mouth breath. I don't know. I, I did mouth breathing. <laughs> mouth breathe. I mouth breathed because I couldn't take in through my nose. Right. Um, and, you know, when we've seen these like research studies of the Petri dishes of, you know, this is the amount that comes out with a cough or talking um, when wearing a mask and when not, that only further perpetuates the idea that a cloth mask or a PPE is a vector for pathogen. So, you know, virus, remind you, is a thousand times smaller than bacteria. So yes, bacteria gets trapped from your mouth and your respiratory tract inside of your mask. And now we're mandating people to wear these vectors of pathogen for eight plus hour days. We're going to see big changes in pleuralcy, you know, which is a condition where the pleura, the the two large layers of tissue that separate your lungs and your chest wall become inflamed. And we're going to see a lot of bacterial infections, staphylococcus, um, you know, to name some, streptococcus, that we're going to start to see in the lungs in higher infectious rates because of masking. Totally. And I'll just share what happened to me at my most recent um, midwife visit. And I've been looking into this, you know, with the mandates in Austin too, if there are any specific recommendations to pregnant women. Um, And so far, the only thing that I've come up with is that N95 masks are not recommended for um, long-term use in the medical field if you are pregnant. So there are some studies actually. Because of hypoxia. Yes, because of hypoxia. Which is Um, oxygen depletion. Yep. Yep. Um, So, you know, and I've been doing the thing where I wear a bandana and I wear it, you know, to get my farmer's market groceries and to go to the grocery store when I need to and, you know, take it off when I get to the table at the restaurant and I'm sucking it up. Uh, But I had to wear it for my OB visit at 28 weeks. And I walked in, sat in the waiting room, went and got weighed and checked in by the nurse. 
and um, she took my blood pressure. And I'm normally someone who is like, I, I run low, like kind of like a dead person, like 110 over, you know, 65 maybe on a, on a good day. <laughs> um, and I was at 145 over 75. And I was like, whoa, like that's really abnormal. And the nurse kind of flagged it. And wait, are you wearing your mask while they're taking yes. your blood pressure? Yeah. while taking it in oh the room. Um, so I had just walked in and I was like, well, can we just give it a few minutes? Like I just got here, you know, I was rushing in traffic. Um, but also I would like 10 minutes by myself in this room without my mask on because I think that, you know, I, I noticed that my breathing is a little bit more labored right now and I think that's impacting my blood pressure. And the nurse was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll have, you know, the, the midwife just test it at the end of your appointment. So I took 10 minutes, did, you know, some deep breathing. Then I had to wear it again for a little while and it was still... 135 over 70 was like the lowest I could get it. And 10 I, point. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is significant. But I know there are some, you know, physiological changes in pregnancy that can impact it. So I'm kind of curious. I was debating <laughs> whether to buy a home cuff and a pulse oximeter just to do some like home experimentation. Yeah. With yeah. the masks. But, oh, that makes yeah. me so frustrated when I think of some facilities having women labor in oh, them. Oh, totally. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, just the risk of potentially being diagnosed with preeclampsia based on a high blood pressure reading, um, you or, know, or forced C-section right. because yep. of the oxygenation being low because of your mask. But right. now that's an iatrogenic cause of right. C-section. Right. And when you would give, you know, oxygen normally during labor, like, does it make sense to put something that restricts oxygen flow over your face? So I will not be doing that during labor and... <laughs> You know, oh man, I, we'll we'll continue to advocate and and you know share these kind of unpopular truths, if you will, um, with the mask mandates and and you know as things evolve. But for now, it's you know needing to best navigate and and control our breath as best we can to prevent these issues. So. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, along that line of right, regardless of how ridiculous and ineffective and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about the magic of Wim Hof. Yeah. Um, because what you can do if forced, we need to be mindful of what that masking can do to our respiratory system so that we can be really conscious and work through how we can control through will our breath and our physiological expression. And I think we need to have Wim Hof on here. I'm going to reach out to him after today's episode. And I, I did a 10-minute, which I'm going to link for you guys, a free YouTube video of his breath technique. And so basically, it was like 30 quick, um, deep breaths, inhaling through your nose and exhaling through your mouth, like this, like, <sighs> maybe not that fast, but 30 of those. And then you take a deep breath and you exhale and you hold for a minute, an entire minute. And then we did 30 more and then the deep breath in and exhale and hold for a minute, 30 seconds. And then again, rep, and then another minute, 30 seconds. And, um, I, at first, like when I watched the minute ticking, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. Did you make it? <laughs> I did. I don't think I, I did. Right now. <laughs> I made it for the minute and the one thirty. and his, his voice and his energy is just like so peaceful. He, he says, 
like a wave. We breathe fully circular, fully in, fully out, no pause in between. Inhale follows exhale, in with peace, out with stress, fully in, fully let go. And he just has these like really cool cues where you're like, yeah, I can do And he gets really pumped up. But when I watched another, then I was like, well, I got to learn more about this guy because mm-hmm. I saw an introduction to him prior to the goop thing. Yeah, but then yeah, I, yeah. I saw the goop thing. Um, but, you know, he also does all of the cold plunges and, um, you know, cold showers and he's the ice man, right? Well, he says that we're able to make stress go away just by using our mind and by exposing yourself to a hormetic stressor, which could be lack of oxygenation. So I think we could we could use the mask and empower ourselves that it's a hormetic stressor. Sure. <laughs> no, that's okay. So I'm going to put my mind next time I get frustrated. Um, but, but using that ox- oxygen withhold or cold temperature that the hormetic stressors actually awaken connections to the brain to make a physiological difference in the body. And so he did this experiment where he was 80 minutes in an ice cold, you know, um, ice bath and all the way up to his head. And um, they drew a bunch of vials of his blood and then they injected E. coli um, ex vivo and saw no immune reaction. And they were like, well, maybe this was because it was outside of his body and Then he said, okay, now I want you to directly inject E. coli in my body. Um, And he was able to influence via his autonomic nervous system and the conscious drive of his body and his will. I mean, this is like wild. His immune system to, to essentially have zero infection. And then they were like, well, you're the ice man. We'll try it again. And he took 16 random people that the researchers selected. This was somewhere in California and brought them out to his area in Poland and trained them. And all 16, 100% of them had no infection. The people that were the placebo that didn't do the training, 100% of them had the infection of E. coli. Super, super wild. And definitely not something to try at home. No. E. coli. I don't think you could get E. coli (laughs) injected yourself. But But some really cool um, techniques. We'll link that YouTube video that you mentioned in today's show notes so y'all can check that out and and use it as kind of a tool to undo some of the masking and and what that's doing well that's i'm like you know if i if my mind goes into the plural c and all these bacterial infections Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna think like oh no my mask right now if i need to wear it for this period of time i'm still gonna speak out against them and i still believe that they're not supportive of human health but my mask is going to be a hormetic stressor that makes my body invincible that's my get my new vision Good shift in, in thought process and a good good mantra. Um, and then as a team, we've been doing yoga once a week. And it's been a really great, you know, at least weekly commitment to an hour of intentional breath work, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think it's really helped to harness me through this whole pandemic season. We've had the lovely opportunity of our in-house yoga person still coming to the home the whole time. And that unjayi breath is that, um, I think it's like a three-part breath, but you fill your lungs and you slightly contract your throat and you breathe through your nose. I'll see if I can do it on the mic. Like, Can you hear that? Yeah. It sounds delightful, like a it's snoring like old man. Darth Vader breath is, is the best way mm-hmm. that I've described it or... Like you're trying to fog up a mirror through your nose with that, that exhale. That sealing of the throat is what I find really creates some like ring out release in my in my autonomic nervous system and in my stress response. 
And, um, you know, it's widely used through vinyasa yoga practice and has been shown in research to have some benefits regulating the heating of the body, um, aiding in slowing the pace of breath, which has been said to improve longevity, cleansing and refreshing um, the body, working to uh, vigorate with prana, you know, the life force energy and um, aiding in mental clarity and focus, as well as enhancing memory and bolstering the immune system. So that's one that I really have now connected to my yoga practice where the unjayi flow moves my body and it's a really great hour where I'm really able to lose myself in that rhythm and kind of wring out any of the rumination and stress that I've been holding for my week. Totally, and it's a great practice to get into even if you're not connecting it necessarily with movement but just for you know maybe in place of that four seven eight or or in addition to could be a really good practice to employ yes so again it's this idea that rapid heart rate and shortness of breath hand in hand are the two most common physiological responses of anxiety and like i said short breath increases rapid heart rate vice versa right so we're looking to use breath to harness both the heart rate as well as the respiratory rate and then really control that autonomic nervous system to shift energy from fight or flight sympathetic into that parasympathetic regulatory relaxed state so that we can have optimal metabolism and reproductive hormone health and circadian rhythm of sleep and all the good things that our body needs when it feels safe. Um, and so there are various techniques out there and, um, you know, there's calming breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. There's the pranayamic. There is, you know, in through your nose, out through your mouth, counting to three or saying mantra with inhale, exhale. But the one that I have found to be the most compelling and that I recommend through the anti-anxiety diet is Dr. Andrew Wiles' 478 breath. And this is a type of a conscious breath that can actually truly harness the autonomic nervous system reducing the vagus nerve excitatory output. So the vagus nerve runs from the brainstem all the way down through the colon. And the 478 breath has actually been shown in clinical studies to reduce the fight or flight response that that nerve puts out through your entire body. And just a couple sets alone can shift your system back into this regulatory state. And this can support not only reduction of anxiety, but it can also, again, optimize metabolic and and whole body health. Three cycles should be enough to slow your heart rate, relax, and create this balance. And just like a muscle, you know, you want to really use it to make sure that it's there for you when needed. Um, but, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil says, you know, the first couple tries at it, you might even get a little woozy or lightheaded. Do not be concerned. This will pass. Um, and you know, again, your body will become more adapted to it and actually kind of crave this type of breath work. So the way that it works is you close your mouth and you inhale through your nose for a mental count of four. Then you're going to hold your breath for a count of seven And then you're going to exhale through your mouth, making a whooshing sound for the count of eight. So the exhale is audible or loud with this whooshing, and that's at a two to one ratio of your inhale, which is kind of silent and in through your nose. So I'm going to kind of count it out. We did this with our last keto class. Um, And so uh, I guess because no one can see me, I can still do it. 
Okay, so... I can breathe and you can just count. As you're listening, sure. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> they can hear me. <laughs> as you're listening, um, you want to sit up straight. So with your feet flat on the floor and your diaphragm open. And you're going to seal your lips first. And you're going to breathe in for four. Here we go. And now you're going to hold for seven. And now you're going to whoosh for eight. And I've got, I've gotten so practiced. I can do like a 10 whoosh, but (laughs) a little steam train. Um, yeah. So it's that, and it does, it kind of gives you like that, like, woo, you get a little heady, um, in the brain space and your body wants to right away fill back up and you'll notice that that next inhale is so much deeper and so much easier that first four it always takes me like I can hardly fill um Mm -hmm. probably because I kind of work in a sympathetic space but uh yeah it's really powerful so just doing three sets of what we just did there is enough to really physiologically tip you back into that regulatory function and one of the most dynamic ways to stop the fight or flight response totally great tool for, you know, dealing with anxiety, but even also for shifting, um, you know, back into that reset mode after a workout or something like that. I know a lot of bodybuilders actually use techniques like that. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring that up because in the world of metabolism, we would do that type of a sealant breath, if you will, after a high intensity mm-hmm. workout or like heavy weight lifting, because that will help to stop the perpetual cortisol surge from that really dynamic yep. stress response of the lifting. And we know that if cortisol was to just kind of drip throughout the day or, or be stimulated or released and not be stopped with this type of breath work, that that can interfere with the muscle recovery, lean body mass, and, and even the metabolic performance. Super cool that beyond mental health and stress, there's also this metabolic impact of our breath. Yep. And there's actually been uh, research studies aside from weightlifting on this. Um, In 2018, the Journal of Physical Therapy did a study on intervention uh, breath study, and they found significant differences found in the VO2 max between the before and after breathing exercises. Um, They also saw significant difference in the resting metabolic rate in the before and after um, diaphragm breathing exercises. So we actually see the impact of the body to burn calories and um, influence that basal, uh, that resting metabolic rate. Um, And we've seen in some studies, they're looking at that expulsion of CO2 to play a role in the um, way that the body expels body fat. That body fat is likely liberated or released in the body. I mean, we've talked about like ketones Mm -hmm. on the breath and, you know, with um, making nutritional ketones, how you get that, um, that acetate, that, that kind of fruity breath. But we're looking at now how expelled CO2 actually will have fat within it and that that's a part of that metabolic shift. So cool and a totally free weight loss tool. Not to mention that, you know, if you stop to breathe, you're probably more likely to be more mindful at your mealtimes and feel more satiated as well. Totally. We know that when we're in that parasympathetic state that we have better hormone regulation on leptin and ghrelin and your incretins. And so I, I think that there's definitely multifactorial benefit to slowing down and getting in your breath. Totally. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit here. Um, last episode when we covered 
antibiotic use and sterility, we hit a little bit on the topic of cleaning products and disinfectants as you know part of the back to school guidelines with COVID. Um, so be sure to check out episode 198 for a little bit on this, but I want to make sure that we hit on this today before we wrap up, um, maybe more from like a respiratory function concern. Yeah. So a lot of what we're seeing, um, and we had an episode 192, keeping our kids safe, which talked about, uh, the May 19th, um, guidelines that were released by the CDC for back to school returns for COVID, um, including social distancing and masking and, um, you know, discourage sharing and how that plays a role on the psyche of a child and the importance of touch and connection and oxytocin and all of these things that I'm pretty impassioned about right now and the time of the year. Um, but one of the, the ones that I think can just kind of create um, a nonpartisan, non-emotional connection, because I know masks can be quite polarizing, mm-hmm. but something like the idea of toxic cleaning products. I think that hopefully all people in all walks of life and all thought processes can say, if we are talking about using higher amounts of concentrated compounds that have been shown in research study to function as hormone disruptors, as carcinogens, as neurotoxins, as asthmagens, and as respiratory stressors and immune disruptors, that this is not a good thing for a potential cause of reducing infection, right? So let's just be clear here. Let's think of some solutions that aren't going to create potential infertility and irreversible influence on our child's delicate ages of hormone development at this time. And let's kind of put our our mind into things that would be effective and safe. Totally. (laughs) So, you know, when we're talking about cleaning products, conventional cleaning products can contain a lot of toxic chemicals. Um, These can include preservatives and these can include the antimicrobial agents themselves, which are actually EPA registered pesticides, many of them. Um, So these can include things like triclosan, fragrance, um, alcohol surfacants. Um, These can also include other added inhalants, formaldehyde, quaternary ammonium compounds, petroleum byproducts, and so much more. And the quaternary ammonium compounds, and there was a triclosan compound, um, I think it was a triclosan, like, ethyl something blend. These are the two more popular used solvents in these um, germ foggers and these disinfectant guns. So this new technology is taking us way past what we used to do to kind of clean a surface with a diluted, um, you know, cleaner with water that we would wipe the surface with that the janitorial staff would do after the Mm -hmm. school day. And then, you know, the room had at least 12 hours, if not 18 hours from cleaning time to allow that surface to rest. So a child wasn't gumming it and getting all that in their mouth, right? And, you know, hopefully ventilated space. And then, you know, the air in the school was running and then the next day started and so forth. That's how it was when I went to school, at least to all of my understanding. The spray and wipe method. Yep. Or, or dump in the <laughs> yep. bucket and yep. wipe it down and like a wipe, 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 wipe yep. thing. So now with the updated CDC guidelines, um, they're recommending more like hourly surface cleaning. And they're also looking into these guns that 
basically spray high parts per million into the into the air, not the atmosphere, I guess, of the of the world, but into the atmosphere of the classroom, um, which is going to land on all forms of surfaces, some likely that have different permeability, and also in the airspace, likely not going to be cleared as easily as something that would just be kind of topically applied or, or rinsed. Um, the concern is that, you know, the people that are using these guns are using, of course, goggles and gloves and masks. And um, the concern is that there may not be adequate ventilation in the schools for the children to have these types of guns used. Um, and that this can build up in a higher particle count than is safe. And this really hasn't been vetted for safety or efficacy within a classroom environment. Um, a lot of these compounds, um, you know, really again, to be used once a day, not hourly, not regularly, and not sprayed in these higher parts per million concentration. Not to mention that last I checked, the CDC was kind of reversing their position on coronavirus's survival on surfaces to begin with. So very, very interesting. Um, let's share with listeners um, the email or at least the premise of it that you sent to Stella's school to advocate for another solution. Sure. So I got an email from them last week and it was just, you know, giving the update to parents. Now Stella's been back in school for almost two months because she went back with the essential workers group. And, um, you know, I, I was advocating at that time for children to not wear masks and for them to stay connected. And she's, I'm so blessed that she's had such an awesome experience. And, um, so I wrote them, you're all doing, they, they put in their release, you know, these are the things we're doing to stay vigilant because Texas cases are going up. So, um, that's creating a huge influx of fear and anxiety, even though the death count and mortality is staying consistent, which would mean that the case fatality is actually less, which would mean that we should all be feeling more calm or reassured, but that's just not the case. That's not how it's being shared in the media. And that's not the way that the government is responding. In fact, we had a, a phase back from where we were as far as on, I don't know, what is that called? From opening to unopening to reclosing or I don't know. We don't even know because it's so unclear. It is so unclear. <laughs> but but yeah, the state of Texas now is yep. mandating masks and you know things are tightening up because cases are going up. So they sent out a letter to note, you know, rest assured, we're disinfecting surfaces hourly, X, Y, Z. So I just wrote them an email and said, you are all doing such an amazing job. I'm grateful for Stella at X school um, that the children are able to collaborate and play together Together, in parentheses, so important for social, emotional, and whole body health. Can I request what disinfectant product is being used? And are windows being opened for adequate ventilation? Or have air purifiers been added to the classroom? As a medical professional, I worry about neurotoxicity and sterility in the microbiome. Sorry to be a high maintenance, but it is for the health of all the kiddos and teachers. I would happily donate a non-toxic option or consult on a less toxic option if necessary. I appreciate your consideration and look forward to providing support where needed. And they wrote me a really beautiful reply. Um, they said, we're using a bleach water mixture for sanitizing and soap and water for cleaning. So I was like, okay, good. Um, they've had many inquiries over the last years on different products um, that include disinfectants, but unfortunately, child licensing requires that from us with very little wiggle room. 
So you know what I did. I, of course, looked into child licensing Uh for the state of Texas. (laughs) I was like, well, what do they allow you, right? Um, They said, we are open. We do open the back door for extra ventilation. And the students spend a great deal outside during the day, which they really do. Um, Feel free to speak with us. And they gave me contacts. And they've been so great. Um, So I was able to look into Texas regulations for child licensing, also their schools and whatnot, because you can do this very easily through a quick Google search. And um, so I found that hydrogen peroxide was one that was approved. And this is a equally effective but significantly less toxic option to bleach. Um, So inhaling bleach can cause damage to the lungs, Um, as well as the organs of the body and accidentally inhaling the fumes, um, which would be concerning for the person who's mixing the bleach. Chances are they're not wearing like a mask or gloves. They're just like spilling it over the, you know, sink. So even Mm -hmm. though it is diluted, um, we can definitely see that being a stressor for that individual's body. But we know that just the vapor can, can influence nose, eyes, coughing, lightheadedness, and it does have some corrosive properties. Um, so I linked a study from the American Journal of Infection Control on hazards of bleach in um, the working um, environments. And then I advocated for hydrogen peroxide. Um, it is on the list of cleaners and it would release less volatile fumes. It's EPA approved as a disinfectant. It does have to be a disinfectant. So there's sterilizers, cleaners, sterilizers, disinfectants. That's the lineage. And disinfectants is the most intense. And hydrogen peroxide can be purchased both as a concentrate and diluted or in a pre-diluted gallon. I sent them a couple links of some products. Um, I said, you know, the concerns for exposure to bleach are respiratory, immunological, and inflammatory processes of the body. I've attached that recent research review that I mentioned up there. And um, I noted that hydrogen peroxide would be the best option for schools and daycare. Um, And then I gave them kind of bullets from the paper that I sent them. So um, this was a paper that looked at a multi-center study of domestic use of bleach and infections in children and showed that passive exposure to bleach in the home even may have an adverse effect on school-age children's health by increasing the risk of respiratory and other infections. Hmm. That's kind of concerning (laughs) if we're trying to prevent a respiratory Uh infection. Um, Lower level long-term exposure to bleach is now recognized as another cause of respiratory effects. In a controlled adult exposure, um, acute exposure to 0.4 parts per million bleach in people with chronic exposure can cause sustained bronchiospasms. And exposure to one part per million chlorine gas, which is um, going to come from the bleach metabolite, can create bronchiospasms even without chronic exposure. Um, I just went through a bunch of fun facts, not that fun, but um, animal studies have shown that bleach causes allergic sensitization and uh, bleach exposed mice have more T helper cell response, including more inflammatory cytokines. So that's concerning when we know that cytokine storm is especially with like when we're looking at children, the um, multi-symptom inflammatory disease. Mm -hmm. Um, So we definitely don't want to have them exposed to something that increases inflammatory cytokines. Um, Yeah, and so I just put a bunch of bullets that I will link for you guys. It's not going to be as much fun for me to rant off and read here. Um, But I highlighted them from this research study and um, also gave them information from the EPA's Design for Environment and Antimicrobial Pesticide Pilot Project, um, where they identified peroxide as one of the safer active ingredients. Um, And I put links to that as well. 
And there is another link that I put in my email that I will share with you all from Branch Basics, which is the household cleaning company that we use. Um, well, they're not like a cleaning company, a cleaning product, excuse me. Um, they make a plant-based cleaning solution that you can use in different concentrations. Um, and we use this on our windows, on our surfaces in our household. It is safe, effective. If Stella makes a mess, she sprays and cleans up after herself. Um, that's how confident I am in the fact that it's non-toxic. And so I'd highly recommend to start to think of these respiratory toxins in your household, eliminate your bleach wipes and all these surface disinfectants because we just haven't seen clinical evidence of need for that. Um, and you know, get to more of these plant-based cleaners. And then it looks like in the classroom environment and maybe even in your office, advocating for the hydrogen peroxide is the best way to go. And then what about Ali? And air filter for the classroom as an option as well or for you know home or, or maybe office use when you're going back to work yeah so Stella has an air filter in her bedroom and that also helps to regulate temperature so it's you know a double fan and a HEPA air filter and I did I put that in my like last paragraph of my email I said I want to make this something that is happy choice for all of you to benefit in a less toxic environment as well, not a burden. I haven't looked deep into products available, but I have linked one or two below. If this is something you would consider and there's a variance of cost that is significant, I would be happy to look at it with other parents and fund it for the entire school. I also would be on board with purchasing a HEPA air filter for the classroom Stella is in if that would be welcomed. I'm grateful for your time, energy, and consideration on how we can do the best we can for our future ones. Um, and so I think the big thing with all of this is we as like you know bare-hearted intense warrior mamas have to bring the facts and the hard truth but we have to be kind and open and receptive to work with um you know these authorities and organizations that are just trying to do their damn best i mean sure. we have to meet them with human empathy and understanding and i think that that's the best solution honestly is to collaborate with other moms in your kids classrooms about bringing in things to mitigate so Purchasing a, a filter for the classroom, I think, is an awesome step. And, you know, you can do that for $200, a really good quality filter, an air filter for the classroom. And that could be, you know, 10 bucks per parent to throw sure, in. exactly. Um, and, you know, I mean, we'll see what comes of this as far as a solution change to cleaning. But I'm pretty confident that they'll work with me on it. And, again, I don't think that the, the monetary influence will be significant. Right. Exactly. So really good resources. We'll make sure to link all of those studies and um, provide Allie's actual email language if you guys want to just copy and change, you know, names and whatnot um, as a resource for advocating for your child. And this could be used, you know, same way in an office environment where you suspect that some of these more harsh chemicals are being utilized as well. Oh, yeah. I'll also link in this same blog, I had to write a letter for a client of mine who had five miscarriages and was dealing with infertility and was on an IVF transplant and um, was freaking out because they were using Lysol. Okay. And, you know, Lysol has been yeah. shown to, to drive one of the compounds in there has been shown to drive miscarriage. And so I had to advocate for her as her practitioner and talk to the entire office structure and say, like, I'm sorry, this patient cannot be in this space. She's highly susceptible. This is her history. This is what this does. She herself brought branch basics actually mm -hmm. to the office and the office transitioned. And now the office is buying it because other people are like, oh, we're not having migraines. Right. Oh, yeah. we're, we're dealing with less brain fog. We're not as fatigued. 
So, you know, these are kind of these types of things where it's like the frog in the boiling water. And we're at this pinnacle time of awareness and this great awakening, if you will, that we have to have these conversations. We have to advocate and we have to think of first do no harm influences when we're looking at whole body health and prevention of chronic illness, because otherwise we're just creating inflammatory metabolic disease that's only going to manifest with the next said pandemic or influence. So hopefully today's episode has been a lot of helpful resources, not only in that advocacy piece of the puzzle, but also in how you can improve your breath. I know I've been intentionally breathing while listening to you talk this whole time, and that's been big for me with this baby pressing against my diaphragm right now. Um, But adding on some breathing exercises, ways to really, you know, use your breath to harness that mental space, to harness your energy, to even improve your metabolism. Totally. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. Yes. And as always, it's a constant journey so think of the things right now that are irritants that you can eliminate in your household get more information from your schools and your workplace and just start to move the needle in the right direction it might start with taking cellular antioxidants and the epa dha extra to reduce the impact and then it might start with transitioning and moving things out and uh, going forward thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.